With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests we are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Introducing DirecTV Stream, the best of live TV and on demand, which means you can get all your favorite sports, movies, and shows together. So you can watch new episodes of your favorite reality shows live or binge old episodes on demand. Either way, get ready for some drama. And the best part? DirecTV Stream has no annual contract. DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together at directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet and compatible device. Content varies by package and location. Restrictions apply. All right, hello everybody, and welcome back into another Sunday uh, as recap we recap what was a wild weekend again, as we're getting somewhat used to now in in the the days of college football parody and another wild weekend, and we're going to be recapping a lot, looking around the country all the way from you know Oregon holding on and beating Washington to Alabama struggling with LSU to Michigan State going down to Giant Slayer Purdue once again, and Purdue gets another opportunity. Uh, and it's on the road, but uh, Purdue again knocking off a top five opponent, which puts them and and keeps them in the top five uh, in the last twenty years uh, of teams that have beaten AP top five teams. I think they're fourth or fifth, uh, surrounded by Oklahoma and USC and, and teams of that caliber. But uh, but before I get into the individual games and, and the breakdowns, there I do just want to make a point about you know kind of what we're seeing from top to bottom and and when i look around the country right now i think there's one and a half elite teams you say what do you mean by one and a half well georgia to me is an elite team all around especially the more that stetson bennett is able to connect down the field i know missouri's defense isn't very good at all but the ability and chemistry of him with burton coming back uh Kiaris jackson starting to turn it on you see the relationship between bowers and darnell washington in the tight end room there in georgia so to me Georgia is an elite team. Alabama tends to play elite on one side of the ball, whether it be offense, whether it be defense, and they have the capability to be elite on both. But right now, the way that team is built, the way that team looks, is that on any given night, one side can be elite, whether that's the offense, and you saw that against A&M, or whether that's the defense, and you've seen that against LSU and a couple other times. But this is the first time that Alabama really had to rely on that defense. And look, I know LSU is not world beaters on offense. We know that the roster situation and the coaching situation that was going down uh, when they went to take on Bama. But but we do know Alabama's talent. And I'm going to get to the top four, in my opinion, here in a second. But when you watched that Alabama-LSU game, <clears throat> excuse me, you can you, you know the personnel that Alabama has. We all do. When you accrue at that high of a level at each position and you stack it year after year after year after year, you're going to have the capability. But like I said last week, all last week and the week before that, there are some vulnerabilities that Alabama has that they haven't had in a while, especially up front on both sides of the ball. But you do have to think that half of Alabama's team any given day can be elite because they've shown it to you. And then you have to think they could be a fully elite team if they put it together. But they have to put it together. You know, uh, looking at my top four real quick before we get into this right now, and and we're obviously going to be discussing this at length and getting into the minutia on the show this week. But I don't know how you don't go Georgia at one, Alabama still at, at two, even though they didn't play well on offense. I think you go Oregon at three and Ohio State at four. I think that's a pretty solid top four. And I don't I don't want to wade into the waters right now of five and six and that merry go round, seven, eight, nine, whatever. But I think that's a solid top four and it will change. And it will change. So let's start with this LSU Alabama game. You know, LSU comes out, they run the fake punt, and they're playing with house money. They're playing with house money. Ed Orgeron, that staff is gone. 
A lot of players are in the portal. A lot of players are banged up. They're playing with house money. Why not? Saw the fake punt early. The jump pass fake punt. Love that. Uh, off the two-man shield. Uh, I believe it was a two-man shield. But Alabama, to me, and you very rarely see this, and you very rarely say this about an, a Nick Saban coach team, Alabama, to me, looked like they thought what the rest of us thought. They were convinced what the rest of us were convinced of, that LSU was a dumpster fire that is rolling downhill. And they could be, that that could be true. But man, did LSU get up to play this one? I guess it's the freedom of being able to play, but there were some caveats in this game that if I was an LSU fan, I would look at and go, why did it take this long for us to do this? If you look at LSU defensively, yeah, they played man-free, cover one, whatever you want to call it, most of the game, but they mixed it up as much as they've ever mixed it up. They were as exotic in the blitz package as they as they have been all year, as they have been the past two years. And they gave Alabama a lot of looks that they hadn't put on tape all year. Ed O comes out and says, hey, we're too predictable on offense and defense. Well, offensively, you didn't stray too far away from what you've always done, but you couldn't. But you couldn't. But defensively, it looked like a whole new scheme. It's like they were playing Madden, you know, for, for three years and running one defense and decided to come in this one and choose multiple and just pick a whole bunch of stuff. And it worked. And you and you look at this game, you look at the score game by game. Alabama was shut out for two quarters. And the third quarter, they only scored six points. Brian Robinson Jr. was the leading rusher for Alabama with 18 yards. Alabama ended up running for six yards. Now, when you lose your center, and Alabama lost their center early, and you had to replace as much as they did up front, sometimes it can be an issue. And was that the only reason that Alabama struggled on offense? No. But it helped a lot. It helped a lot. And seeing how, how Alabama center's injury is going to go is going to be huge for the big games they have coming up in the future. Iron Bowl, SEC Championship possibly, playoff possibly. Because it doesn't just affect you you know, physically where you may not have as good of a player in there. It affects calling protections, makes it slower for the quarterback. You lose chemistry in the middle. The cadence is a little bit different, even though the quarterback's saying it's the same, centers kind of handle it different. That was a big loss. It's a big loss for any team. Take away the starting center from any team. <coughs> Excuse me. And you'll you'll be amazed at the results. Get a couple bad snaps. We saw the ball on the ground a couple times, whether it be in the gun, whether it be under center. So that's something you have to keep monitoring. They said it was a lower leg injury. But Alabama only totaling six rushing yards is wild. Now, Bryce Young threw for 302. Jamison Williams, Mechie, they did their thing. But it just shows you that Alabama is not as elite or as dominant as they have been. Now, they have the capability any given night to beat anybody because their personnel's that good. But they'd have to play dadgum near perfect to beat Georgia the way they're playing right now. And if you're only running for six yards against LSU in that defensive line, may God help you against Jordan Davis and the rest of the Monstars in the front seven of Georgia. And then you look on the other side, Ty Davis-Price runs for 104. Wasn't beautiful, but they were able to get movement. And if, I, if I'm an Alabama fan, that's where I worry about the interior on both sides of the line of scrimmage right now. That's where I'm a little bit worried. And the Alabama defense played really, really well at times. Will Anderson, we know he's a beast, but I'm telling you guys, Christian Harris and Henry Toa Toa will be the reason that Alabama can give up rushing yards. Because the two gapping that you've seen in the past and those linebackers flying downhill and making plays. We I was just watching 
the clips of when Alabama played LSU uh, when Fournette was there and, and Bama ruined his Heisman hopes. They're two gapping and linebackers are flying downhill. Flying downhill. You're not seeing that from this year's team. So looking at these matchups coming up, remember that. So, you know, Alabama survives. I'm going to keep them number two. Georgia, just going to hit it real quick. We know how bad Missouri's defense is. Missouri came out and threw a punch. Uh, but you saw some guys starting to get healthy and making plays for Georgia on the outside. You saw Stetson Bennett hitting on some downfield passes. And if that element of the game starts to come in for Georgia in this offense, now they can attack you from every area of the field, it becomes scary. And JT Daniels came in, looked rusty. What did you expect? Was behind on a slant, then ended up being picked. Cost a lot of people the Georgia cover. But I'm sure the more reps he gets, he'll get back in it. But did not look crisp. You cannot say that JT Daniels looked crisp. But Georgia continues to roll and look like the number one team in the country by far, by, by leaps and bounds. It's The gap seems to widen every week. But before we get to this Auburn A&M game, I do want to get to Michigan State and Purdue. You know, Michigan State and, and Mel Tucker have kind of been the one of the darlings of college football, and it's well-deserved. But heavy is the crown. Heavy is the crown. They've gotten a lot of pub. We've heard that. I've heard that. You've heard that. Purdue's heard that. Purdue took down number two ranked, albeit overrated number two ranked Iowa team at home earlier, and Purdue's been a giant slayer of late. If you're Michigan State, you realize that you're running into a trap. Mel Tucker realized it. I'm sure they talked about it all week. But watching that game, what it looked like to me is that Michigan State, not that they were hung over from the Michigan win, but this game they just looked slow. They didn't look crisp. They didn't look explosive. Not that they weren't excited to play the game, but Purdue just looked faster. It was like Michigan State totally shot their wad against Michigan. Like it was it was all they had, and they needed two weeks to recover or three weeks to recover. The hardest part about having success in college football and being vaulted toward that top spot is maintaining and sustaining that success. Heavy is the crown. The target on your back, the more you win and the later you get into the season, gets bigger and bigger and bigger because for some of these teams, and I may be just you know speaking to the choir here or singing to the choir, some of these teams are running out of big game opportunities. They need something to hang their hat on for this season. They're trying to increase, while it may not be their playoff chances, their chances to go to a great bowl to get these seniors out the right way. And it looked to me like Michigan State, they thought they could show up, run base, and win the game. And Purdue said, you know, no. And if you watch what Purdue did offensively, they mixed in the play-action game, the intermediate passing game. But they were breaking tackles and making plays. Michigan State did not tackle well at all defensively. Kind of like we saw against Michigan early on in that game. And if you're going to play the, the comeback game where we have to come back eventually, that snake bites you. That fire burns you. And it burned Michigan State. And we're getting to the point of the season where conferences are cannibalizing themselves. And we've had, in my opinion, more teams that are in the conversation, I think you'd agree with me, than ever before. The parity is at an all-time high, whether that be for the super seniors, whether that be for the transfer portal, whether it be for some other reason that I don't even know. But Purdue did it again, and now Michigan State, to me, to me, you have to hope for an unbelievable amount of chaos, which is very possible in today's age. But Auburn A&M. A&M wins the game 20-3. to Auburn scored three points in the first quarter, did not score a point after that. And look, this, this was a knockdown, drag-out fist fight until the fourth quarter. And to me, we used to call them staring contests. These two teams were staring down each other. 
until one of them blinked. But why did one blink? And, you know, I, I don't I don't ever get personal or, or you know, individual with, with players that often and, and this, that, and the other. But a spade is a spade. Texas A&M has NFL players on that defense, all over that defense, especially in that front seven. Auburn has maybe one offensive lineman that'll have a chance to maybe play a little bit in the NFL. Brian Harson inherited a roster that, while it in spots has some talent, is deficient of talent on the offensive line. Auburn's offensive line is a high-level group of five offensive line. Not that they're bad or terrible. They're not good enough to be able to line up and run the ball against Texas A&M. They're not good enough to be able to line up and run the ball consistently, even against a Penn State, and they're sure as hell not good enough to line up and run the ball against Georgia and probably not Alabama. And this is what happens when you take over a program. It's not Brian Harson's fault. Now, was the offensive line the only part of the offense that didn't play well? No. But the margin for error for Auburn offensively, and if you look at the wide receiver group, they don't have explosive wide receivers. They have some good players, but they don't have explosive wide receivers. You don't see Auburn hitting explosive plays for touchdowns. Auburn's drives are always 10, 12 plays with a six-yard touchdown run. It's not like some of these other schools you see. It's like, oh, it's a 70-yard touchdown pass. Auburn doesn't have those guys yet. The problem was with Auburn yesterday, and this is a lot a lot of kudos to Texas A&M's defense, is that since you're not good enough to just be better than people on offense, you have to play very well in all position groups offensively. For example, Bo Nix didn't play well. Auburn's not good enough to say, okay, Bo Nix, you're not playing well. We're going to lean heavy on the run game, and we're going to grind this thing out. They don't have the guys up front to do that. I mean, A&M's defensive line was punking Auburn's offensive line the whole night, just like they got punked against Georgia, just like they got punked against Penn State. And it's nothing personal against Auburn's offensive line. They're just not as good as what Texas A&M has on the defensive line. And to be able to compete with the Bamas and the Georgias, and now you're seeing Texas A&M start to step up in recruiting, you have to have elite players up front. At some point, you've got to be able to say, okay, well, we're going to lean on you. We have the capability to lean on you. Auburn doesn't, and it's just physics. It's just physics. You can look at the way Georgia's offensive line looks you, physically. You can look at the way Alabama's, even Texas A&M's, even though they got young guys, they all look better than Auburn physically. They all look better than Auburn physically. A lot more toned. You see, you see, you know, a lot more strength, ability to move people off the ball. The combos are stronger. You can see them, you know, taking over the game. Auburn's offensive line doesn't have the ability to take over the game and to set that tone, as I mentioned. Auburn didn't have that, and AM knew that. But I was very surprised that Auburn didn't take more shots downfield. One way to help that out or alleviate that is get guys out of the web or get guys out of the box. Well, Auburn was a, looked like they were afraid to throw a pass over 15 yards. I mean, you overthrew one for a touchdown, then you never went back to it. And A&M knew that. And A&M offensively said, okay, Auburn's doing a really good job shutting down the run, which they have all year. They had a couple drops. Wattemeyer dropped a couple. But A&M realized, listen, if Auburn's going to try and wait us out, we know we have better players than Auburn. And eventually, gravity takes its place. And that's what you saw in the fourth quarter. Eventually, one dam was going to break. A&M has much better personnel on the offensive line than Auburn does. And you saw uh, in that fourth quarter when A&M scored 14, it wasn't magic. It wasn't anything crazy. And if, and if you're an Auburn fan, you got to tip your cap to the defense. I mean, Auburn's defense played about as well as they could possibly play. Offense just didn't get off the bus, and they don't have the personnel. And, you know, when you play good teams or elite teams, you know, Ole Miss's defense, personnel-wise, isn't where it needs to be. Auburn was able to take advantage. LSU, 
was still in in the proverbial uh, car wash, as they say, of of the distractions and problems with Ed O. And it wasn't like Auburn dominated that game offensively. I think they scored, what, 21 points? 23 points? It's going to – Brian Harson has got to hit the transfer portal hard for offensive linemen. He's got to. A lot of these guys will move on, become pilots, you know, get into their their professional business careers, not NFL careers, but professional careers, and and you've got to find guys to replace them. But A&M really dominated. Got to be in the top ten. We're going to talk a ton about that. This week, including having Jalen Wattemeyer on the show. Now, I also do want to get to Cincinnati. I'm going to continue to beat the same drum that I beat last week. Cincinnati is an elite and cool story. They are not an elite team. They didn't play well against Tulsa. I think they would tell you they didn't play well against Tulsa. That makes now four weeks in a row, really, where they've looked very average. You have game day coming up there for the first time, and you're playing three and five Tulsa. Three and five Tulsa, and you need to fumble at the goal line up eight to seal the win. This team is not playoff caliber. I am sorry. I'm sorry. If you've, you watch them, and you especially watch them the last three or four weeks, and you look around the rest of the country, does Cincinnati beat Oklahoma State? No. Does Cincinnati beat Tennessee? No. Does Cincinnati beat Liberty? I don't know. I don't think they'd beat Ole Miss. They're a good team. And I'm starting to, to rethink me thinking of them as the greatest group of five team ever, the way they've looked. I mean, a win's a win, and you'll have people that say, oh, well, you know, you can only beat who you play. Well, that's true, but you can look a lot better beating them because you shouldn't get get in over any one-loss team, that Power Five, in, in my opinion, that's worth their salt. But we see chaos happening all around, and it's going to continue to happen. Oregon's still got to go to Utah. Ohio State's still got some big games to play. Oklahoma's got some big games to play, including Oklahoma State and Baylor. Bama, if they go to the SEC Championship game, has got to play Georgia, and that could be loss number two, and they're not exactly killing it right now. And then you got Notre Dame sitting at 10. And, and you know what? To be honest with you, I'm looking at it right now. And if Bama goes and, and loses the SEC championship game and you have a two-loss Bama and you have Georgia at number one, there's a way that they're going to put Cincinnati and Notre Dame in this thing. And I'm going to get to Wake in a second, but you do that, you might as well put the other two. You might as well just let the other two play in the national championship. You might as well not waste our time. Or hell, you might as well just let Cincinnati play Notre Dame so one of them can, can say they won a playoff game. But that's what it looks like it's setting up for. But who knows in today's college football? And speaking of today's college football, watching, literally watching Ohio State struggle with Nebraska the way they did. And I know Nebraska got up for that game, and Adrian Martinez is an older guy, and this, that, and the other. And I know they only gave up 17 points. But it's the big plays that I'm watching this Ohio State defense give up to certain teams that continue to shock me. C.J. Stroud, who's a young quarterback that's still learning, got a little more under his belt than Caleb Williams in Oklahoma, who had a bye week, but C.J. Stroud struggled. But Ohio State still has athletes, elite athletes. And I'm looking around the rest of the college landscape outside of Georgia, and you could say Alabama. I'm like, well, who... Who looks to the point where you can say, oh, well, Ohio State, you got to move Ohio State now, and this other team uh, is, is really playing better? And Ohio State's got Purdue at home. That's a big caveat for Purdue. But Ohio State's got Purdue at home this week. You know, against Penn State last week, and I know Penn State's pretty talented. Oklahoma, uh, Ohio State struggled a little bit. But this week at Nebraska, I mean, that was a game. That was a game well into the fourth quarter. 
So it's it's you know to quote Zach Galifianakis off the campaign, it's you better bring your brooms because it's a mess. But speaking about messes, Kentucky loses at home 45-42 to a Tennessee team that when they get off to a hot start, if Tennessee scores double digits in the first quarter, you're in trouble because they're going to dictate the pace of the rest of the game. Tennessee is like a great college basketball team that makes you play their style. You may be a slow it down, let's run our sets, let's get into horns, let's do all this type of style of offense, but you play against Tennessee and you realize, okay, we're in a transition game. They're just running. This is a transition basketball game. They're just running. And Kentucky had to play Tennessee style all night because they weren't stopping them on early downs and early in the game. Tennessee had confidence. It's almost like Tennessee goes into the game not wondering if it's going to work, but if it works early, it's like everybody's like, oh my gosh, like it's going to work the whole game. Even even the teams on defense are like, oh, how are we going to stop this? Because you only have a couple answers when you're going that fast. What's the first answer? Well, keep it simple on defense. Stay in base. Well, I'm going to give you a hint. That's exactly what they want you to do. They want you to stay in base. Because if you're in base, they know what you're in. If you're in base, they know your coverage. If you're in base, they know who's open. So the passing game doesn't have to be that complex. How do you think Gus Malzahn got away with it for so long? But the difference in Josh Heupel and Gus Malzahn is Tennessee does have a more complex passing game in that warp speed style system. Tennessee is able to run more plays. They're able to go to the well more. The Waffle House menu has a little more options on it. They can get their pass smothered, covered, chunked, dunked, punked, plunked, and all type of stuff. That's why Tennessee's dangerous. But if you stop them early and you get them out of rhythm, that's when they have to start playing your game. But from the jump, from the first play, Kentucky had to play their style. Now, to me, Kentucky defensively has fallen off a cliff. I mean, you scored 42 points at home. Kentucky lost 45-42. Will Levis do for 372. Now, the turnovers, we know they've been hurting Kentucky. A lot of them were fumbles early. They had one turnover this game, but it was a huge one. It's the pick six. Will Levis just stared down the out. Or the excuse me, the comeback. Just stared down the comeback on the outside. And it was a great play by the Taylor kid from Tennessee to pick it off and take it to the house. But with Tennessee, and <clears throat> you know. Talked about it earlier in the season, because when I lo- when I look at things and, and look at things working, I'm talking about working to be able to beat elite teams. I'm talking about working to be able to win championships. You know, it's uh, a couple of people on social media talking about, oh, you know, uh, you still think the system or scheme doesn't work. Never said that Tennessee's scheme doesn't work. What I've said, and I will continue to say, and I will maintain to say is that Tennessee doesn't have the defensive personnel right now for them to run that system and beat elite teams or teams that have elite athletes because they really still haven't. Now, we know Kentucky's a really good ball club. They're ranked 18th in the country. It's a huge win for Tennessee. But Kentucky does not have the same players that Bama has. Kentucky does not have the same players that Georgia has. Kentucky does not have the same players that Florida has, and don't worry, I'm about to get into Florida in a second, but a huge win for Josh Heupel in Tennessee, and you could start to see the confidence in that program growing and growing and growing, and could Josh Heupel be the guy? I was a little bit doubtful at first, still got to see a lot more body of work, and you have to understand this. And I'm going to talk about this on the show this week. You have to understand this. It's Josh Heupel's first year in the league. It's Brian Harson's first year in the league. The book isn't out on him yet. Just like when a pitcher gets up to the bigs, and typically the first couple outings where the new pitchers get up to ma- the major leagues, they do well. And everybody's like, how are they doing so well? Well, they're talented. We know that. It's, they're getting coached well. We know that. But the book's not out on them yet. You get one shot to get in the league for your first year. 
and Tennessee. You will now have a whole season of Tennessee and Josh Heupel play calling in the SEC to be able to prepare for. So now you find out as you go on. That's why we always say if you're not evolving, you're dissolving. Now we'll find out as we go on in year two and year three, are they good enough to be able to mix it up enough to stay fresh? And that's cost a lot of coaches. A lot of coaches. Gus Malzahn's another great example. Eventually, defenses catch up. Now, that does that mean they catch up all, all the way? No, but they're going to take away what makes you most effective and make you dribble with your left. And for all the new coaches, you get one shot to come in, show what you can do unless you make a change at OC, but you will see defenses be more prepared to play Tennessee next year. But Josh Heupel can evolve that offense. That's what makes him special. But Dan Mullen in Florida, now that's a different story. What happened to Florida and what is happening at Florida to me, while it is shocking, I guess maybe shocking is not the word, while it's very surprising, it's not overwhelming or something to me that can be viewed as an anomaly this season. To me, that this is an, an additive or, or an aggregation of a lot of things. And, and I'm going to dive into that. But first, I, I do want to say something about Sam Pittman and Arkansas getting to six wins. You know, Sam Pittman early on in this football season when Arkansas, you know, beat Texas and, and beat A&M, you know, they, they had quickly become the, the media darlings and they should have uh, for college football. But Arkansas hasn't been bowl eligible in a while. And beating Mississippi State, and, and Mississippi State missed three field goals, it wasn't the prettiest game from Arkansas, but it's one they had to have. thought K.J. Jefferson was really efficient. Under 200 yards passing, but really efficient. Had a 100-yard rusher. Burks had 82. Will Rogers did what he does. Threw for over 400 yards. But, you know... Watching Arkansas and, and watching the way that they're recruiting, watching the way that they play for Sam Pittman, watching the standard be raised, watching the expectations be raised, Arkansas is going to be a problem. Arkansas is going to be a physical problem. To me, Arkansas is going to be disciplined. I think you'll see Kendall Browse there for at least one more year. And Sam Pittman knows how to hire. How long Barry Odom will be there, I don't know. But this was a huge win for Arkansas and, and the fan base. Not only to get off the proverbial schneid. I know they beat Pine Bluff before the bye week. But, you know, I'd lost three SEC games in a row. I'd lost that home game to Auburn. This was huge for them to get over the hump. Bowl eligible for the first time in a while which you have to feel good for not only Sam Pittman and the team, but the Arkansas fan base. Hell, even if it's Shreveport, it's somewhere, right? A lot different than Chad Morris going into the tank. They had to win it close at the end. Mike Leach announced that there will be uh, kicking tryouts on the Mississippi State University <laughs> campus at the football facility. So if anybody's interested, got any eligibility, uh, drive on down to Starkville and see if you can make the squad. It's a tough loss for Mississippi State. You know, again, you had chances at the end, the fourth down. Tough penalty they threw, a little defensive holding penalty on fourth down. Are you to close the game out? If you're Arkansas, six and three. Mississippi State, you know, was ranked seventeenth at, at five and three. Well, they drop out of the top twenty five. Now you have to go play Auburn. That's your reward. It's typically how it is in the SEC. And we'll get we'll get to this Mississippi State Auburn game later, because it's still a huge Auburn game. <clears throat> a huge game for Auburn and Mississippi State, but especially Auburn, because you do still have a path. And there is some sneaky good games this next Saturday. But congrats to Arkansas. On to Florida. No, I'll get to Oregon for a second. Said it during the week. Said it on the show. Dan Mullen is much better suited for the NFL, in my opinion. You're you're seeing the. Not reckoning, but really, you're, to me, you're seeing Dan Mullen's last days at Florida. I didn't think it would happen this fast, but to me, it almost looks mutual. It almost feels like Dan wants out and now Florida wants Dan out. 
I don't think he likes recruiting. I don't think he enjoys the academic side of it, having to keep up with it, having having to monitor the players instead of them just being at the facility all day like they are in the NFL. To me, uh, you may get a mutual break. But to lose to South Carolina, a South Carolina team that while they're playing hard, a South Carolina team that while they may believe, a South Carolina team that played in front of a, a, a crazy house there in Columbia with a new coach that needed a big win, they don't have the personnel to be able or should not have the personnel to be able to line up and treat Florida the way that they treated them. They shouldn't be able to do what they did to Florida, yet they did. Florida still can't stop gap scheme. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Kevin Harris went for 130. White went for 112. Both averaged over eight yards a carry. Hell, Marshawn Lloyd almost averaged seven yards a carry. Jason Brown came in, the St. Francis transfer, uh, came in and balled. 14 to 24 for 175 and two tuds. Then you look at Florida, and their leading rusher has 39 yards. I think Florida's quit. I think the team's quit. I think they see the writing on the wall. And if you're a Florida fan, you know what you do if something's spoiled in the refrigerator? You throw it away. You throw it out. You make a change. And while I would still be surprised to see Florida come out and fire Dan Mullen, it's starting to turn into that. It turned from a small kitchen fire to a five-alarm fire last night. Does Dan survive after this season? I don't know. I would have told you there's no chance they'd fire him two, three weeks ago, but now you're two and eight in your last 10 Power 5 games, and those two wins are against Tennessee and Vanderbilt, and I'm supposed to sit here and believe, and Florida's fan base is supposed to sit here and believe that you have any chance to compete against Kirby in recruiting? You think it was bad last year after y'all won, and he still out-recruited you? What is he going to do to you this year? What is Tennessee going to do you with Josh Heupel building up a program that's confident? I mean... You look around, Kentucky, I know they lost to Tennessee, but Mark Stoops isn't slowing down anytime soon. What I saw was an, uh, in, in Columbia Saturday night, last night from Florida, was an amalgamation of a coaching staff and players that I think either don't want to be there or don't want to be there with each other. And both of those results are equally horrifying if you're a Florida fan. And I'll say it again like I said before the year. Emory Jones isn't that dude. I went 17 for 30 and had 250 and two touchdowns and a pick. But when you had to have it, when you need that drive, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. And you know what? It's okay to miss on a quarterback. Ask Dabo Sweeney. It's okay. But this isn't just that. This isn't just we missed on a quarterback. I think this relationship is souring. And we're going to look, look ahead to next week here in a minute. But at what point, at what point do you reach the point of no return if you're Florida? At what point does that happen? Because I'm looking at it right now, and it's mighty interesting. It's mighty interesting. I do want to touch on Oregon. Uh, watch that whole game. Washington is not a very good football team, especially offensively, but Oregon survived in the rain on the road with a target on their back. Now, in my opinion, are they an elite team? No. Can we say any team outside of Georgia and half of Alabama, depending on which half shows up, is elite? No. So as we're perusing toward the playoff, and I know Notre Dame beat a terrible Navy team, 
and they'll somehow sneak in. But here's the way I see this right now, just a full overview. And we're going to talk about it all week. We have David Pollack, uh, Peter Burns, a bunch of people coming on this week that we're talking about on the J Boy Show. So make sure you subscribe to the volume, hit that notification button uh, as well. You need to go check out the YouTube. I know you're listening to this on audio and I really appreciate it. But if you do not know about the YouTube channel, you need to go check it out. Just type in the volume on YouTube. It's really easy. You'll see we put out a ton of content uh, on the volume YouTube channel and it's going to keep coming. It's only going to increase. But, but when I look at the landscape and I look at it all together, I've given you my top four. Georgia, Bama 2, Oregon 3, Ohio State 4 right now. And you look ahead to next week and, and you look ahead at these games. It tends to always work itself out. But it's almost like it's setting up for Alabama to get in with two losses. Here's why. Let me take you through it. Oklahoma is going to lose a regular season game, in my opinion. Is it next week at Baylor? Is it Oklahoma State? They are going to lose one. The ACC, now that Wake has lost, and again, when you don't have a defense, eventually it catches you. And Wake's schedule was on the front side was very easy. Now on this back side, we're really going to find out. They could lose every game they play, winding out the season. But I think Oklahoma loses a game. Ohio State doesn't have the easy schedule to close out. They get Purdue at home next week. Michigan State took that loss, we all know. But there's a couple games I want you to keep your eye on this weekend. Notre Dame goes to Virginia. Virginia coming off a bye. I'm putting Notre Dame officially today, early in the week, whether you're listening to this Sunday or Monday, I am putting Notre Dame on upset alert this week. Go ahead and, and and call the dogs out on that one. A&M goes to Ole Miss. And let's look at this SEC West situation for a second because it is fascinating as we're coming down the stretch, especially after seeing the way that Alabama just played. So let's look at Ole Miss first. Ole Miss has lost to Alabama and to Auburn. Yeah, we know that's, that's, that's pretty easy because there's three teams that are really kind of involved down in this stretch run uh, that, that can have a chance to win the West. And you look at Ole Miss the rest of their schedule. They get A&M at home, they get Vandy at home, and they go to Mississippi State. Okay, they've already lost to Auburn and Alabama. And if you look at their overall record, the SEC losses, they've lost one SEC game. Overall, excuse me, two SEC games overall, Auburn and A&M. Beat Tennessee, beat LSU. This is a huge game for them in A&M because, because if A&M wins out, they've got Ole Miss and LSU, at Ole Miss and LSU. If A&M wins out and Auburn beats Bama, A&M goes because they beat Auburn and Bama. And you each have two SEC losses in the West. If AM goes and loses to Ole Miss and Auburn wins out, including beating Pama, Auburn goes to the SEC championship with two SEC losses. Because that would give AM three SEC losses if they lost at Ole Miss. All Alabama has to do is just win out. That's it. They control their own destiny. Alabama is now the only team in the West that controls their own destiny. So you could possibly see there are two chances from two different teams of a three-loss overall team going to the to representing the SEC West in the championship game. And then you look at the rest of some, the, the matchups next week. Auburn. Gets Mississippi State at home in a huge game, and that's a scary one for Auburn. That's a scary one for Auburn. A, a must win. The proverbial must win. You've got NC State going to Wake Forest and what should be a good game. Not as big now because we know Wake Forest lost. Washington State goes to Oregon. Uh, I, don't, I don't see Oregon having a problem uh, with Washington State, especially the way Washington State's playing lately. 
and, and there's some good there's some other good games mixed in. I mean, you got Minnesota and Iowa and, and a couple here and there. But when you look at next week, you got Cincinnati at South Florida, and I'm telling you, somebody is going to beat Cincinnati, whether it's SMU. South Florida put up a ton of points against Houston, probably played as well as they played all season, especially offensively. And Jeff Scott, even though they're 2-7, and seven, they're playing much better football than they did at the beginning of the season. But there is a sneaky game in here, everybody. There is a sneaky game. Georgia's got to go to a Tennessee team that believes right now. And they play a style that I'm very interested to see how Georgia plays it. The difference in Georgia and everybody else they've played is that Georgia has a lot of depth. That's one way to be able to combat that warp speed is, is to have depth. Now, is that the only answer? Is that the only saving grace? No. No. But it's great to have. It's great to have. Just like it's great to have you guys. Uh, always appreciate you joining us. Like I said, make sure you subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. You can find us on YouTube as well. The J-Boy Show. It's on the Volume YouTube channel. Colin Cowherd runs it. We really appreciate you guys. Got great shows coming live, 3 to 4 Eastern this week. Make sure you check us out. We'll be talking to you soon. That's another recap and what's been a crazy weekend of college football. We'll holler at you later. The Volume. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.